the name of the day long for day is apparent here and now. This is one of the qualities of the Dhamma. So the Pali word is sanditiko, sanditiko, apparent here and now. Uh, akaliko, timeless. Ehipasiko, inviting us to come and see for ourselves. Um, Bajatang Veditabo Vinyuhi, to be experienced through our, directly through our own wisdom. So the the Dharma has these qualities. It's 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 it can be seen always here and now. It's only ever here and now. It's 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 waiting for us to recognize it here and now. There's an encouragement to to turn towards our experience and see what's going on. So it's got that quality of inquiry. Um, it's timeless. It's timeless because it's imminent. It's not. Uh, it's not lasting for a while and going to end, or it's not something we're going to get to sometime in the future. But it's 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 right here. Its very quality is is imminence. It's uh, it's it's arising now. It is the the truth of what is arising and ceasing now. So uh, apparent here and now, you know, it's it, it's much more to it than just being mindful of what's happening here and now. It's it's uh, it's reminding us of the quality of the. The, the potential for awakening or the awakened presence that's right here at every moment. And uh, we can experience that, that, that awakenness in moments. Often we are so much in the habit of thinking and um, rationalizing and maybe also we have stories of I'm not good enough, I can't. You know, I've done all these bad things and therefore it's not going to happen to me. So we have all these stories that overlay our actual experience of, of reality. So Sanditiko, apparent here and now, is um, it's a reminder to come back and be interested in, in what is going on here and now. And uh, so I just want for a moment to invite you to put down your pens and just... Drop in and see what is going on for you. What is happening? What is apparent here and now in your being? And whatever you find, this is perfect. So we always start from where we are. And our tendency is to start from an idea of where we should be and to be kind of at war with where we are. So we start off by thinking, you know, oh gosh, I'm such a restless person. You know, my mind's so busy, so I really must stop my mind. I really must do something to stop my mind. So then we, we've already made war with how things are in this moment. And, uh, and so rather than being interested in, curious about, we've opposed what is happening here and now. So we've created this oppositional relationship with what is, what is present. 
And so then we start to get into this fight with what is present here and now. And, you know, more often than not, we lose. And then there's a sense of like, oh, you know, I'm just not good at this. I'm a failure or it's too hard. Or I think I go and just entertain myself. It's, it's, it's not it's never going to go anywhere. So the, the Buddha's path really is, is set up for success. <laughs> because it's not saying we have to be a certain way. It's saying, where are you beginning from? And uh, if, so as I sat for that moment, just looking at what's apparent here and now, what I noticed was the feeling in, in my body, um, a sense of kind of peacefulness and, and darkness, actually. But it was a peaceful darkness. And uh, a certain openness of mind. And I realized, oh, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, it would have been a very, very different experience. Racing mind, you know, maybe painful body or not being able to relate to the body and uh, doubt, is this right? Am I, what am I supposed to be doing here? What does she mean? You know, there would have been a lot of thoughts going on and, and, and agitation. And uh, so just, so then in that moment of checking in, what is apparent here and now, there's also a sense of appreciation, you know, for having directed my life in a way that I can just stop and experience some kind of well-being, you know, without too much difficulty. Not that it's there all the time. I certainly go through my struggles, but yeah, it's accessible, a sense of well-being. So a really important support for that is, you know, to live an ethical life. It's like the basis of the path. If we're doing harm to other people or, or intentional harm to um, creatures, uh, then we're going to be left with a, a sense of you know, not, not a good feeling in ourselves. There are, there are things we have to compartmentalize and, and push away when we stop and drop in. So, you know, the basis, the very, very beginning of the path really is to undertake a training in ethics of not intentionally harming living beings, not taking what doesn't belong to us, being responsible with our sexuality, uh, being truthful, not lying, which is a big one, and uh, in support of that, to uh, refrain from getting intoxicated with, with drugs or alcohol. So the, four, the fifth one isn't, a, isn't an ethical requirement, it's just it supports the other four. So that's, that's like the basis of the path. If we have that as a basis... There's an intention to have a mind that is, is to, to bring supportive conditions for clarity of mind. So it's not to say like it's ethically wrong to have a glass of wine with your meal, but you're, you're, wanting, you're moving towards directing yourself towards conditions that will support clarity of mind. And the clarity of mind helps us to let go of the bad habits, the harmful habits that have kept us miserable, really, and, uh, and, have, and have made others miserable also. So the, the ethics is a support for that. And it's, it's like it's, when one trains with, the, with, with ethics, and this is like as an uplift, there's a sense of like, you know, it can be kind of hard for a while if, if one's going against patterns, but then it just starts to like lift us up. 
And then we become a source of safety for others. If people know that we're living in an ethical way, then for first of all, we can't get pulled off track too easily, so we can't uh, get involved in other people. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna be colluding with others who are going off track, and also we a source of safety for other beings because people know that we're basically ethical. So this is a really important support for the path. And then, you know, we can have this idea that when we sit in meditation, we should be able to have a nice, peaceful experience. And then sometimes we sit and it's, it's not, you know. We're, we're churning through old pains or, or we're feeling confused or doubtful or vulnerable or uh, physically painful, you know. And then we feel like it, it, it's not the way we think it should be. It should be different to this. So then again, we're meeting what is present with with aversion, with not wanting. So, uh, so as, as we turn, as we sit in the meditation and we turn towards what is, what is apparent here and now, what is happening here and now, we also need to see what are we bringing to what is happening here and now. So if we are experiencing a sense of physical discomfort, let's say. And then we might have overlay, overlaying that um, self-criticism, sense of being a failure, or we really should have done this, that and the other that would have made me feel better now. So we can have these overlays onto the experience that we, that we meet. And so we add layer upon layer of dukkha to our experience. And, uh, and then meditation becomes more difficult. It becomes this time when we, we sit and we experience ourselves the way we don't want our, ourselves to be. <laughs> so the Buddha didn't set it up like that. He didn't set up these, these like, you, you should be like this and you shouldn't be like that. But he said, you know, there are things that we do that will be supportive to us, will be uplifting, will, will, will lighten our load so like, you know, the ethical standards and then also acts of generosity, of kindness, patience, um, a sense of, of willingness. These, um, these support and bring uplift to our, to our practice. And there are things that we can do that, that drag us down, you know. Uh, follow, even, even in the thought realm, just following thoughts of ill will, harm, Getting just like, you know, maybe having an hour or 40 minutes to sit and just spending the whole 40 minutes having fantasies about some nice thing you could be doing somewhere else. It sort of seems harmless enough, and it kind of is, but it isn't, because there's this potential actually to be awake to what is happening here and now. And so then we're kind of wasting it. We're, we're zoning out into some fantasy of some other nice thing somewhere else with someone else that will be better than this. It's a, it's a fantasy. So this is our life right now. It's like this. And uh, what we find in the, in, when we stop and look is supported by how we use our body, speech and mind in our lives. And uh, it may be you know, that you come to the practice having done a lot of unskillful things. Some that people do. Some, you spend a lot of time doing unskillful things and then you suddenly wake up and like, whoa, 
I want to change track. And then we have to sit through the repercussions of, of what we've done. And it can be really, really hard work and very humbling, but it's very valuable work. So what is the, in that situation, what is apparent here and now is the results of past action. And then we just bear with that. And uh, you know, never doubt that you're capable of awakening. You know, there's, you know, there's as long as one turns one's mind towards what is happening here and now, and develops a heart that is aligned with what is true and what is generous and harmless, then you're going to go in the right direction. And that way of living will support uh, a resting into this moment, a resting into what is happening here and now. And the more we can clear away all of that clutter that we've accumulated in our, in our lives, all those unnecessary, all the unnecessary baggage, you know, it can be things that we're carrying from childhood that we really don't need to carry anymore. Or it can be things that we've done that we can't let go of. We still feel we're still ruminating over. So we have to clear out all of that clutter and make space and uh, generate some good energy through our, our life and practice. And that is a support for wisdom to arise. So wisdom isn't just being a wise person, but it's it's the wisdom that sees the truth of the way things are that sees the, the interdependence of all things, that sees how even subtly, you know, if, if, um, if I allow, if I, so I was just ex- noticing recently how just a few moments where the mind was really, really clear and bright and sharp, and then there was this, um, almost like a, a wall, like a metal wall coming down, and it was a habit of mind, uh, like a like an aversive habit of mind, a habit of aversion. And so there's this clear, open state, and then boom, the aversion comes in, it shuts it down. And uh, so if I just believe in that aversion, I can create an, an other who's wrong, and a me that's opposed to it, and, you know, I can, I can get into that relationship of, of uh, it's, it's like a war in a way or I can see oh look what's going on there that's an old habit I've done that many many times and maybe now there's enough clarity that I don't have to do that don't have to respond in that way in this moment what would it be like if I just stay open and undefended just in the heart and, uh, and it's like oh it's, it's really nice. And then I'm not creating that other as, as a person who I have to defend myself against. It's just, there's actually no problem. There's an openness. And uh, awareness, you know, mindfulness, sati, is a really important part of, this, of that practice. Because without sati, we're just thrown around. Without mindfulness, awareness, we're thrown around by our experience. When, but when we have sati, we can know our experience as it is. And also, 
you know, we have these layers of judgment that go onto our experience. Sati, <coughs> mindfulness, awareness can know those those judgments when they arise. So they can be like, aha, you know. So there's this, and then there's the judging of this, making it complicated. And so with sati, we can know. Sati holds the whole picture. It knows the it knows the ill will. It knows the judgment of the ill will. It knows the creating of a story of self and the the endless layers of complexity that we can create that make us more and more separate and solid and other than. And sati can help to soften and, and break apart, in a way, all of those things. So I mentioned earlier that the Buddha's path is set up for success. And uh, the reason for that is, is a real simple thing that we forget to do, which is to, you know, once we have the mindfulness, to inquire, to be interested in what is going on without a preconceived judgment of how it should be. So that's, the, that's where it, it, we can always be successful, as long as we remember to just turn our attention towards what is happening here and now with interest, with curiosity then things start to shift. So if we're acting from an idea of an already preconceived sense of who I am, where I'm going, you know, my past, my future, other people, we're kind of stuck. We're stuck in these ideas of what's going on. And the thinking mind is very strong. It creates really strong realities. So the Buddha's path is saying, let's just look at that a little differently. There's, there's awareness, and then it's like, hmm, so what is this, you know? And when we can know what the quality of it is, and we can also know maybe the causes and conditions for how this, whatever it is, is arising right now. That's very interesting. We start to see the causes and conditions of fear, or of ill will, or of greed, confusion. And then we can go back to where they started from, and maybe go back a little further before they were there, and, and through that start to unravel and tease apart these habits of mind that we've created, these patterns that are not serving us. So this, this quality of inquiry, mindfulness, inquiry, energy, so to stay with it, the energy to stay with what is going on, not just to like look at it and boop, onto the next thing, but just to stay present, to keep being interested and uh, as we shine the light of awareness on our experience, you might find that things start to change, that the solidity gets less solid, that the story isn't quite as believable as it was a few minutes ago. And then maybe that other, other aspects of that story start to reveal themselves and you see where it all began. And then as you see where it all began, it's like pulling a thread out of a... A sweater or something, and then it all, the whole thing just starts to disintegrate because it's it's made up. <laughs> These stories that we tell ourselves they're made up, and there are there are you know there are re- there are causes and conditions. So it's not like you know if you've had a very difficult life, it's, it's not to say that you haven't had a very difficult life, but it's just to say that there is a possibility for transformation right here and right now. 
but not if we just keep on following the same old patterns, the same old habits, the same old stories, reinforcing the same old ways of doing things. So one of the one of the reflections as monastics that we're encouraged to to do again and again is um, I should strive to abandon my former habits. This should be reflected upon again and again. So there's like you know obvious habits, but then there's also habits of mind, habits of attitude that we hold that keep us stuck. And uh, you know sometimes the, the the patterns of those run deep. So it's not, not to expect to just change things immediately, but what, what you find is when you bring that inquiry to what is going on, things can change immediately. You, do, you can experience complete shift, but maybe it slips back again. And then, and then you bring that inquiry again, and then it's like, oh, it all dissolves. And then somebody triggers you, and choop, there you are back again. So it's, it, it quite requires, the path requires a lot of patience, and a certain amount of faith, confidence, and um, that willingness to keep turning again and again to what is happening here and now with curiosity and interest. And to recognize when that judging is already there, it should be like this, it shouldn't be like that. I'm like this, they're like that. Those things are what keep us stuck. So when we look at the teachings they're, they're continuously inviting us just to, to break down those solid solidifications. Um, so inquiry, and uh, the, with the Four Noble Truths, which are like the, the, the heart of the Buddha's teachings, the first Noble Truth is to recognize there is dukkha. Dukkha meaning uh, unsatisfactoriness. It can mean suffering, it can mean just a, a subtle discontent. It could be from subtle discontent to extreme suffering and everything in between. So the first noble truth is knowing when that is present and also knowing when it's not present. We forget that. There can be quite a bit of our time when, when there's actually things that are quite okay. Maybe not like fantastic, you know, but really okay. And then we, we skip it, we miss it because it's not exciting enough. So noticing, you know, is there dukkha present or not present? Is there a sense of contentment? Well, that's great, you know. Sense of well-being, sense of kind of even okayness. That's, that's wonderful. And if we can dwell in that place of, of okayness, of, of contentment, you know, it can bring up a lot of um, a great sense of well-being, of peace. So, you know, that, that quality of contentment is, is present in the mind when the, when the mind is not obscured by greed, hatred and, de- hatred and delusion. We all have those moments, sometimes more than moments. So to pay attention to those sometimes quite ordinary experiences, which are in a way liberating experiences. We're liberated from the obscurations of mind. We're liberated from greed, hatred and delusion, even just for a little while. So to pay attention to that and really appreciate those moments. They're beautiful. And like everything, the more we put our attention onto it, the more we notice it, the more it shows up. So to do that with interest, not with greed, (laughs) 
This is the trick. It's like a koan. To, to meet our experience with interest, not with like, I want to get that, I want to get rid of that. Because as soon as we're in that wanting, not wanting, we're, we're obstructing ourselves. So coming back to the, the first noble truth and noticing where there is dukkha, discomfort, dissatisfaction, out and out fear, anxiety, whatever it may be, noticing, okay, there, this is dukkha. It has a cause. And the cause is wanting things to be a certain way. So uh, I was reading recently about uh, kids who, who do these, uh, I've never really seen them, but kids who do these um, uh, like superhero games where you, you play a game and you are a superhero and you, you get to do all these amazing things and, and you get uh, you know, really, really a lot of gratification and you, and you don't have to do a lot in order to accomplish a lot in this game. And so you feel really great when you're playing the game and then you come back into ordinary life and it's like really not like that. And, uh, and how difficult it is for these kids to be able to just deal with basic reality. Just basic reality. You know, that you're not going to get a standing ovation every time you do something good. And that things are not always going to go your way. And to be nobody in particular is kind of how it is for most of us most of the time. And that's okay. And so we've sort of set up this culture that, that makes the ordinary somehow wrong and disappointing. And uh, so that is the, the cause of dukkha, is, is wanting things to be other than how they are, clinging to some idea of how things should be. And, uh, and that creates suffering. So whenever there's clinging, there is dukkha. Whenever there is dukkha, there is clinging. When you look at it that way around, it's really helpful. Whenever, whenever there is dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, there is clinging, because that invites the inquiry again. So if we look at it from where, when there's clinging, there is dukkha, then we start to think, I shouldn't be clinging, should let go, should let go. You know? So we start to add to the dukkha. But if you see it the other way around, it's like, oh, there's dukkha. So, so there must be some clinging going on somewhere. So what is that? Where is that? So then it, it turns the path, it, it turns us back to the path again. The path opens up right there. And then uh, maybe we can find it easily, maybe we can't, doesn't matter. The inquiry itself is the path. And then the, the third noble truth is that dukkha does end. It's a really important one. Because when we're in it, we think it's never going to end. But it does. Whether it's a little ending or the big ending, the great the great Nibbana ending. You know, that's, but don't wait for the big one. You know, notice the little ones. <laughs> if you never notice the little ones, you might get the big one and not even notice it's going got there. So all of those little Nibbanas, those little endings, those little cessations where it all drops away and it's like... Whew. Or where you just notice that, that, that stress that I was so caught in, that, I, that was so real... Where is it? It's not here right now. Wow. You know, and then you could just go, oh, but it's going to come back, it's going to come back. You know, then you, then you recreate it because it's familiar. Familiar and comfortable, but, it's, well, it's uncomfortable, but it's, you know, familiar. So, again, it's that recognizing when something has ended and being comfortable with endings, 
welcoming endings. So again, this culture, our culture is all about beginnings, new beginnings, new, different, you know, fresh. And so we don't appreciate endings. We don't honor endings, really. And endings are very, very, very important because it's the endings that teach us the truth. They teach, they teach us the truth of, of impermanence, that everything that has a beginning has a process and has an end. Everything, everything, everything in the universe. And when we're not aligned with that truth, we create an endless stress because we're trying to make things last that cannot last. We're trying to, um, or, or we're trying to get rid of things that are anyway going to go away on their own. So when we really understand and, and get to know and welcome endings, there's a great peace and freedom in that. It can be a bit scary. It can be a bit scary because we feel like, then what, you know? Because it opens us to the not knowing. Whereas when we think like it's going to be like this and then it's going to be like that, that gives us the illusion of security. And when we come to that place of, well, ending and now I'm not quite sure, it's a little scary. But it's, it's scary for the sense of self because the sense of self wants to cling to things. In fact, the sense of self can only arise through clinging. And when the clinging is let go of, when we release our grip, there's just this. There's being. There's presence. There is truth. And then it's trusting that if we, you know, as we learn to listen more deeply and, uh, and not control everything all the time, that we will, that wisdom will arise that what needs to happen will become clear. So we tend to think, if we just keep thinking about it, we just keep you know, go, going over and over it in our mind, then we'll get clear. But sometimes it just gets us more and more confused. And uh, you know, I like to spend time in nature, in the forest and by the ocean and mountains and these kind of places. And uh, in nature you just see how much intelligence there is. It's, it's incredibly amazing intelligence there. And these bodies are part of that. These bodies and minds are part of nature. We're not other than. We came from the earth. We'll go back to the earth. This is how we are. We think we're something else, but we're animal bodies that do what animal bodies do, whether we like it or not. <laughs> And uh, so we are this arising of nature right now. And yet we think, we've thought ourselves into some sort of other, other reality where we think we have to keep it all under control and make it all happen. But you know, some of the most brilliant minds, you know, they come to their, their deepest understanding in, through letting go, in moments of letting go. You know, so it's like, resting back, opening, allowing things to come through. This is when often the most profound understanding can arise. So, but it's, you know, it can be a bit scary to trust that because we think, no, it's me, I've got to do it, I've got to make it happen. So just explore that territory. You can today, you know, don't feel like you've got to do it your whole life, just today explore that territory. What is it like to just 
You know, what does it feel like, that feeling of needing to control things, needing to make it happen, needing to have a plan, needing to have a life plan, needing to have a plan for the next, goodness knows how many generations, you know, there's a lot of stress in that. And I'm not saying it's not good to plan, because it is good to plan at the right time, but you plan in the moment, and you get your plan down, and you, and you know that it's probably not, probably not going to be quite like that and you you know implement your plan but you don't try and control situations to be the way you think they should be that's like being at war with reality and uh, I'm, I'm saying you don't do it like we do do it we do it all the time but it creates it creates that stress so uh with this teaching on being a, a parent here and now, you know, we, we create the causes and conditions for enough well-being that we can, or at least enough awareness and holding, that we can pay attention to what's going on here, that we can know it for what it is, we can allow it to go through whatever process it's going through. Because everything is impermanent, it all belongs. We can let it, we can let it be known, let it be felt, let it be seen. And and know that it, know when it ends. Notice the ending of things. And uh, the more we do this, and you know, the more there's just a, like a resting into what is. And then the world is you know it's a busy place. It's constantly kind of whipping us up and telling us what we should be doing and getting us involved in lots of things. And so we have to also use our discernment. You know, well, what do I want to put my energy into? There are really important things that we can put our energy into. What really matters? And then just put your energy into that. Don't try and do 10,000 things. Don't do everything that, you know, every thought that comes into your mind that tells you you should be, you shouldn't be. But just like, what really matters? There's the internal work and then there's there'll be some external work. There'll be what matters for this one, for, for yourself, and what matters that you want to offer to the, to the world or, the, or your local community or your family or your work or whatever it is. And then, you know, let some of those things that pull you in different directions go and just focus. Focus on what you need for yourself. What you what you really want to honour in your in yourself and what you want to offer, they kind of belong together. Actually, one supports the other. So, uh, so it's an interesting kind of paradox between directing our mind and letting go. So we 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 want to know. You know what we we don't want to cultivate, what we do want to cultivate, and then through that interest and through that practice and through that letting go, we cultivate what's wholesome. We learn to let go of what is unwholesome, and uh, we and that allows the conditions to come together to see a deeper reality, the reality of of transience, the reality of interbeing the reality of how we can transform our mind through generating wholesome qualities and that influences people around us. You know, so it, it's all available. 
We just need to put in the, the intention and the practice and the curiosity, the kindness, the faith, if I may use that word. And, uh, and then just keep going step by step and see where it leads you. So, uh, you know, it's something we've dedicated our lives to and are still working on. But uh, to come here and to be able to share with others, even if it encourages you just on this day to do this practice, it will be a great thing. If it encourages you for longer, that will be awesome. Okay.